Okay, welcome everyone. Welcome to the first official episode of our new podcast, Ready, Set, Binge. I'm Jeremy, joined by my tag team partner, my man, the legend, the myth, the infamous one, Nick. Nick, how's it going, man? It's going well, man. Here we are, episode one. Episode one is finally here. I, uh, a day I, I never thought would be here, but that's the kind of year 2020 has been where the impossible is possible right now. Yep, and uh, at this point, man, any any good that we can get, along with all this bad, let's let's have more of it. So I'm I'm, I'm excited to to do these episodes with you. We've been talking about it again for for years and years. Finally, we're able to do it. You know, unfortunately, not under the circumstances that we would ideally want, but we're gonna go, f- you know, go for it nonetheless. Onward and forward, but I'm pumped, man, and uh. You know, we said it on the intro the other day. So for those who don't know, if you haven't listened, you listen to the intro that Nick and I gave. Uh, we're picking Parks and Recreation, just a, a, a favorite comedy of both of ours. And I, I'm i glad we gave out suggestions and we kind of narrowed it down to a few. And and you kind of gave the final umph on going with Parks and Rec. And I, I'm glad you did that. Yeah, I mean, it's a show that we've both admired for quite some time um it's something that we that we look to right after the office um towards the the tail end of the office and you know kind of for me it it eventually filled that void um we can debate what's a better show uh maybe somewhere down the line but um yeah i thought i mean we both know the show so well and we've talked about it endlessly so i figured why not start with you know, a cult favorite parks and rec and um, get into what we believe to be the best season and where things really took off for the show. So we're looking at season three. That's what we're going to be breaking down, but we're going to give a quick, you know, overview of like the first two seasons and, and what led up to season three. So parks and rec ran from April, 2009 to February, 2015 you know seven seasons on nbc they just had a recent special reunion episode for uh you know during this pandemic back in april which was pretty cool to see just such a it's cool to see how that cast has become so star-studded and iconic and just deep you know and like wow like back in early 2000 but you know early in this decade it was you knew amy poehler but they were kind of unknowns and now they're megastars but you know this show came from greg daniels and michael shore who greg daniels had worked on both of them were snl writers in the past greg daniels worked on uh king of the hill michael shore also had wrote on snl and they both were writers for the office and had left the office to go do parks and rec and in season one, the comparisons to The Office did not do this show any favors, did it, Nick? No, it didn't. Um, because the first character that you look at is Leslie Nope, And she was compared to Michael Scott right away. Right? Mm-hmm. The, I mean, Ron is technically the boss, 
of that department, but we all know who the real boss is, the one who's going around doing all the work, who's uh, who's delegating, and that's Leslie Nope. In season one, it seemed like she was trying too much. The character, not Amy Poehler necessarily, but the character is it was just too much Michael Scott, too extreme. In my opinion, when I first saw season one. That's not, first of all, that's not the season that I started with when I first watched the show. And I'm glad that I didn't because when I finally did go back and watch season one, I was really disappointed. And I I remember that. I I didn't know. Yeah, I didn't know if, and I told you, I was like, I don't know if I would have stuck with this show if I watched all of season one because Amy Poehler's character, I I just found her extremely annoying at, at certain times. It was just, it was like an extreme version of what, the character eventually came to be, they dialed her down to where um, she should have been. But season one was just like an extreme. No. And I think it was very interesting because, you know, you'll hear Nick and I talk about writing and different writers and, you know, throughout this show and hearing Michael Shore do podcast in, you know, recent times, and hearing how that process was and them talking about, like, you know, they kind of didn't really get a lot of support from the network and they kind of rushed it and they kind of went to their sensibilities instead of going to Amy Poehler's sensibilities. And, you know, really, in a way, it was great that Amy Poehler, after season one, kind of stepped up and the writers got it, too to, you know what, have a strong female character who is competent. And they also looked at it like, you know, they were affected by the times. And we had the financial crisis of, you know, the 2007, 2008 in certain situations. And they kind of hit them where, like, eh, we don't need with what's going on in real life with the government to kind of have in our fictional world government officials acting like fools and kudos to the writers for listening kudos for amy poehler for stepping up and taking you know ownership of her character and it did the show wonders and eventually when they finally i think settled into uh, and made you know final decisions on each character's direction that's when you really see the show take off which is in season three what we believe to be season three um and we had debated a little bit because I, I am a fan of season two, even though I, I do agree that season three is the, is, is the beginning of the best. I do like season two as you begin to see more characters get some screen time like Andy. However, we did have our gripes with season two. Um, and ultimately, what I asked myself was, what made this show great? What made this show a great show? What made this show a hit? And I kept coming back to two things. The cast, the the extremely dynamic cast, which, in my opinion, this show helped launch careers. Absolutely. For several of, of the um, actors. And then the second thing was character development. You know, each character had a unique storyline. Eventually. Not at first, but eventually. Um, and season two... D, we've talked about this before. Problem with the cast. Yes. Interesting. Because I, you know, you talked about in the intro how I may have some some hot takes. 
and I do have a, a, a hot take on the cast. I really do. Now, I'm sure you're referencing Mr. Bran as Tommy Haverford, Aziz Ansari's character, would say, Bran Danowitz. Is that what you're talking about in season two? Bran Danowitz? Yes, which yes. I did like that, Amy. Uh, Leslie <laughs> Nope said that. That cracked me up. I what a line. Bran Danowitz. Um, Yes, I, I, he's been tolerable for me in, you know, watching it back, but something seemed off and I, I'm assuming the writers felt it too. Which Michael Shore said that they were going to bring him back, but they wound up not bringing him back, but he had publicly said it. Now I'm going to agree that Brandanowitz's character was terrible. Like there's no, he, he brought really as far as any kind of value, like he wasn't compelling. He wasn't even like a compelling, like snake in the grass, villainous kind of like, Oh, like boyfriend type or anything. He was just pretty much like, you know, just dry, just, you know, yeah, dry. He, fell, he fell in the middle with everything. He yeah. It's not like one way or the other. He was like dry toast with no jelly or butter. Or it's just, it's just plain dry toast. You know, it's like, uh, okay. It's there. If nothing else, fine. I I need nourishment. I'll eat it. But where's yeah, the... it's like good when you have the flu, pretty much. But you know, yeah. every day you're not going to seek out dry toast. Dry toast. Well, you might. You know, you've made broccoli sandwiches. You know, with dry toast. So Listen, in the past, so you might do that. But the 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 our audience doesn't need to know about any of that. <laughs> I'm just saying they were, they were dark times. I was trying to find myself, D. That's what we do in college. Yeah. All right. You were you were very lost. Very lost. I mean, the TV show loss had nothing on you back then with that choice. But anyway, so would just... you call that sandwich a Brandanowitz? Oh yes, that's a Brandanowitz special. <laughs> that's the perfect name. The Brandan. I think honestly, that sandwich, that broccoli, cut piece of broccoli on dry toast. That sandwich is so bad. Brandana quits because you should quit eating. If you eat that sandwich, if you decide you want that sandwich, just there's no hope for you. So Brandana quits is fitting for me. <laughs> I will say this. Okay. Like, I don't see it as the actor's fault. Um, the only moment to me that I remember liking with uh, Brandanowitz is um, well, actually one of my, probably my favorite episode of season two is when they were all digging up dirt on each other. Remember mm-hmm. that episode? I do. And he, um, he gets Jerry. Yes. And Jerry doesn't know that he's adopted. And he's like, oh, oh, Jerry, I'm so sorry. And like that whole moment between them, that was like the only, I'm like, that's kind of funny. But other than that. But I kind of felt like that was still Jerry carrying that scene, but. Yeah, a little bit. I'll give that to you. But what I liked, I'll say this, his character was boring, but in the season two finale, what I liked about it, which I did not get back then, but, you know, getting ready for this show, I like that, you know, when Brandanowitz is quitting and he's taking, you know, that, that new job and he's leaving, working, you know, for the Parks and Recreation Department. I And then when he, you know, ain't, uh, Leslie Nope is upset and, you know, Brandana quits. But when they talk at the end and he kind of gives his reasoning, but he talks at the end and was like, you know, there was more people like you I in the government, I would stay here. I thought it was kind of, I don't know if the writer's on purpose or what. I thought it was a great example because 
you know, you're a teacher, I'm a drug and alcohol counselor. So, and they're working in the government in those, like, I guess, social services jobs. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and it's not a knock on anybody, but I think it does take a certain type of person to do those jobs. Absolutely. And, it, it, and it's not nothing wrong if you aren't one of those people and it's not for you because it, it, they're, they're, you can speak to it. I can speak to it. And, you know, I did social work. Like I said, you're a teacher. I'm a drug and alcohol counselor. They are tough jobs, emotionally draining, not the best financially, usually a lot of paperwork and, you know, a lot of times bureaucratic stuff. It can wear on you and it's not for everyone. And I looked at that as a good example. He's not a villain or a bad guy. It didn't fit him. And he kind of was like that. All those other people that you feel like there's a connection there and they want to make it's through Leslie's um, excitement, but they want to make their community better. And there's a connection and it becomes like family. And Brandon is a nice guy, but that's just not his world. And I kind of like that. It was a character who didn't fit there. And it's, it's okay. If that world isn't your world. Yeah. And I think again, it was um, the best decision for the show. You never like to see anyone lose their job, but from that point forward, they were able. Uh, another problem with season two is that they didn't give, um, they didn't start uncovering talent until season three, I think. Um, at least not the full potential of the talent. Uh, not not all the characters got enough screen time, right? In in season two, um, but ultimately. There was one major change, right, that we have talked about being the deciding factor as to why we chose season three over season two. And again, thinking about the cast, and I don't know if you want to speak to that a little bit, as you, you've brought it up to me many times before, and the additions to the cast. Well, I felt, you know, those last two episodes of season two, um, when you have Adam Scott and, and Rob Lowe, so... You know, Chris Traeger, Ben Wyatt coming in, government officials coming in and looking to make big cuts to the government in Pawnee. They're coming from Indianapolis. And that dynamic of, to me, they, they those episodes, I remember watching this live and you were watch, watching it too. And I was kind of like lukewarm on season two. You were a bigger fan than me at, when this was going on live. And I remember telling you those last two episodes with Rob Lowe and Adam Scott, you know, Chris and Ben were my favorite episodes and it kind of clicked and it was funnier, but also I felt compelled and it was a very compelling story. And I liked that it took the realism, you know, it took the realism of what was going on at the time with government and making these cuts and, you know, shutdowns. It brought that into this, but there was still the comedy factor and, also, you kind of got the yin and yang. You know, Chris was the positive guy, really high energy, and like you know, but didn't want to make the tough decisions. And you kind of looked at Ben, who was kind of being portrayed as like the black hat, but making these tough decisions that like no one really <clears throat> likes, but he, you have to do sometimes. It's not fun, but you have to do. But they weren't, you know, they weren't like heartless, you know, villains either. And there was a compelling, as we will get into later, back and forth between Ben and Leslie 
that kind of hooked you. And those two episodes really got me. And so that's kind of why season three I brought up to you because that's when that cast, and I think everyone who's a Parks and Rec fan, you know the cast, including Ben Wyatt, Chris Traeger, Rob Lowe, uh, Adam Scott and Rob Lowe. So that's why I felt like that's the that's the dream team for Parks and Rec, and that's the season that we should kind of go with. Yeah, and it's funny. Yeah, it, it, Ben brings the hammer down, right? And Chris plays the ultimate positive, you know, let me butter you up, and then Ben's going to destroy you. That dynamic between the two really set things in motion. I think Adam Scott is an incredibly um, – versus you know versatile actor um who's played he's played like every role in the book and he's yeah. played it he's played it extremely well uh, you know he's he's played the uptight jerk masterfully and he's played you know the uh the nerdy you know dorky sympathetic um you know sweet guy um masterfully so Bringing him in, just the talent alone, was was incredible. Um, I was not prepared to see Rob Lowe that way, <laughs> um, but the character that they created for him was just so unique and so high energy. And I think that high energy, as opposed to the you know the the wet blanket energy that Brandanowitz brought, um, really lifted up the show and helped it hit its stride in, in season three. Well, I, I'll say this, two things. When I look at the end of season two, what I see is, and you're right, Adam Scott, when he comes on here, he's that guy. We had seen him in things, but you don't know if he, this show, to me, made him a name. Where now, I, everyone, you say Adam Scott, people are talking about, and it's from him coming in as Ben Wyatt. Rob Lowe had kind of, you know, after he left the West Wing way too early than what he should have left it, he kind of was just floating around and talk about a career renaissance this past decade form. It comes from, you know, playing Chris Traeger and you're right. You take out Brandanowitz, who just brought no energy to honestly, you know, addition by subtraction, him not being on screen gave it more energy. You know, when he was on it, you were losing it. You, you know, that was like, you know, snooze button. You're all right. Sleep like I'm out. That's what he brought to the screen. So to take away that negative energy and bring in two positive forces, Chris, you know, which is Rob Lowe's character, ultra, ultra hype, energy, positive, which also kind of put in perspectives, Leslie's positivity. So if you were like, man, Leslie's too positive, you saw Chris Traeger and you were like, no, 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 that is what being overly positive is. Leslie's fine. And Ben doing, and you and I always would talk about this, Ben with that being sarcastic, dry humor, but also that like social awkwardness and self-deprecation really kind of filled out too. Yeah. It, it brought a very different character in the mix when, and then when you think about the characters that were already established on the show, like Tom and April, it, it also left that other Avenue as, you know, let's, um, you know, there, there, there's another guy for them to kind of like, call out and rag on and um you know tom constantly is 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 cracking jokes about you know how how he's a nerd and he, and he loves all this all this stuff um so it was just to me a natural fit to have 
um, Adam Scott in there. I, I remember when they first came when they first came on. I was hoping, so hoping that they would bring them on full time. Yes, thankfully, thankfully they did in season three. And then you know that's what led me, and I believe you, uh, to decide on season three as the season to go with. Because when you look at Parks and Recreation, what makes the show so great? It's dynamic cast. Um, it's an it's an all star ensemble. We didn't know it at the time, but we grew to absolutely love them, and we see no better example of that than uh, with you know the characters of Ben Wyatt and Chris Traeger settling in during season three. Yeah, and real quick, I'll say this: the Office versus because they're so close. I mean, Allison Jones did casting for both. Mike Shore and Greg Daniels wrote for a lot of similarities here, both mockumentary comedies that were on NBC. The debate between those two shows, is, it's a hard one. But I, what I will give Parks and Rec over The Office, the, it's, a, it's a much deeper cast, in my opinion. Like, they win that debate. Uh, not saying that they win overall, but in, that, in my opinion, they win that debate over The Office. I think so. I, th- I think that's... Um... But to me, I don't know. To me, it's still not. It's still not a hard debate. <laughs> but maybe it's, that's for another time. Yeah, I, I I agree. I think it's closer than what maybe you're giving. It's closer, mm. but I think the office is still better. But you're right for a different time. But I agree overall. My vote would go for the office, but it's closer than I think uh, you're giving it. I so want to get into this right now. <laughs> but I, I know we can oh don't worry um, we got plenty of time it's only the first episode don't worry yeah yeah speaking of first episode um uh so so we're we're on you know we've settled on season three i don't know if you if you had any further th- thoughts on season two before before we get into it no i think the only thing i was going to say just right real quick is you have made this point earlier that you see a lot of talent looking back on it and maybe in the moment you see a lot of talented people there on the cast in season two, but I do feel no offense. I know we're ragging on Brandanowitz a lot, but I think he just kind of had an awkward vibe and was kind of blocking that ultimate cast chemistry. And when you watch these last couple episodes of season two, I feel like everyone gets involved and they're before it was kind of, it felt like the Leslie, April, like, those were the two stars. They're like Shaq and Kobe, and everyone else is like, you know, B. Shaw and Robert Ory and Derek Fisher. And then you kind of get, you know, Rob Lowe and Adam Scott joining the cast, and now I feel like, oh, this is an all-star team. Everyone's getting the ball. It's getting passed fluidly. Everyone can score. Everyone can go up for an alley-oop. Everyone kind of – all these combos work together now. There's not that breakup. And Brandanowitz, where it's like, oh, Brandanowitz and Tommy Haverford, awkward. Brandanowitz with Leslie Nope, uh, Brandanowitz and Ant. Like, there's always like, oh, it doesn't work. But now it all just works together and it leads to a great all time cast. And it kind of kicks off into season three, episode one. Right. So that brings us to season three. Um, episode one titled Go Big or Go Home. And we like to start with a little 
synopsis each time, right? Just Bring it um, down for us, Nick. Yeah, yeah. Just, just a little breakdown um, before we get into our, our, you know, our deep dive of the episode. So episode one, Go Big or Go Home, written by Alan Yang. You may be familiar um, with his work on uh, Master of None. Of course. Uh, also directed by Dean Holland, who uh, did a couple episodes of The Office, uh, The Office's later seasons. Um, so the episode begins with a recap of the concluding events of season two and the local government shutdown that closed the Pawnee Parks Department. After their return to work, Leslie schemes to get more money for the Parks Department by any means necessary, which results in Chris's first ever bad date. <laughs> Ron and Andy find themselves playing the roles of youth basketball coaches, which places Tom in an uncomfortable position. Andy continues to try to win April's affection as he now finds himself face to face with a new rival, the charmingly handsome Eduardo from Venezuela. However, despite <laughs> these fissures in friendship, Leslie is able to convince them to come together and save the parks department by reviving the once beloved annual harvest festival. And that kicks things off for season three. Dee, what'd you think of this episode? I really liked it. I thought it kept, it was a great way to keep the momentum. This was like a mid-season. You know, Parks and Rec, just like The Office, never uh, ratings hits, really, while they were on the air. Always were kind of up and down. Critics grew to like it. It's like The Office, but the ratings, this really grew after it's like toward the end and definitely after it's run while it's streaming on Netflix and now Hulu. It's gotten really popular and also the success of the cast once they've left has helped make this show popular. But uh, so it came on in January. So I thought that was really impressive that it came on mid season and it felt like the chemistry, it kind of picked right off up where it left off at the end of season two. And I love, like you mentioned in the synopsis, I like the intros where, it, it, Hey, if you're watching this, it gives you, you're, you're seeing, you know, Leslie, no Ron Swanson, Tommy Haverford, a.k.a. Tommy Timberlake. Mm, 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 mm. <laughs> you know, you have all that going. You get Ann Perkins. You get the whole game. Andy, Dwyer, you're getting everybody. April, you're seeing everyone. So it's kind of letting you know who they are. And I felt like gave you a little rundown about, hey, the little weird love triangle situation that happened with Andy, April, and Ann, you know, early on. Andy and Ann used to date. Then they break up. And then you have April liking Andy, but then April can't stand Ann. And Ann kissed Andy when he's in the hospital. Andy being honest, Andy tells April. She walks off upset. Uh, you know, so how, you also have these kind of interesting love stories going on with the government shutdown. You know, Tom is finding some love with uh, Wendy. So all these things are kind of happening here as well. So some interesting love stories. Yeah. Well, speaking of the, of the intro, uh, we had that, that recap, but then after as part of their opener, I, I just wanted to, to ask you, I was curious, did you have a favorite part of the, of the opening? I, I definitely did when Leslie was going around telling everybody, all right, we're back. Yeah. And she's going one by one by one. I was just curious as, you know, whether or not you had a favorite. Yeah, for sure. Because I definitely once stood out to me where I still, when I see it, die laughing. Um, it's funny because, 
you know, sometimes you wonder what you remember, like when it happened live. So I remember cracking up live when I watched this, you know, back in 2011. But when she goes up to, you know, Jerry's painting that beautiful painting out, you know, by the lake and yep. has like the stand with lemonade. Like even now, I'm watching like the details, has like it just looks so perfect. And he's all just cheery and, and happy. And then she's like, Jerry, we're back to work. You don't need this. And she just gives that frisbee toss of this beautiful painting into like the, the lake. And he's like, What? And he has that face. And it just cracked me up, like just dying. And I know. And you saw that like the painting looked. Look beautiful. It's beautiful. Too. Oh, it's great. It looked like, like that's what you want to do when you're retired. You're by the lake. You got nice little lemonade. You have your brushes, and you're just painting this beautiful scenery. It's like everyone else. It's like oh, uh, uh, you know, government lockdown or shutdown. If I'm looking at Jerry, it's like, why do you go back? Like you're living the life, man. And she just tossed that painting. All that work gone. <laughs> I know. There's Jerry. Poor Jerry. Think like contemplating maybe early retirement. Yeah. Right. Just living the life. And then, you know, a few moments later, his beautiful paintings floating in the lake and he's going back to work. So great. So great. Um, I wanted to ask you, that is a, a running joke. You see it even in like, you know, season two and you see it throughout. H- how do you feel about Jerry being the butt of the jokes all the time? I, I mean, I have mixed feelings about it, right? Because, like, I feel really bad for him. But at the same time, it, it, it's such a funny character to laugh at. Um, I do think at sometimes it's, it's cruel. I, I, will, I will go there. Like, sometimes, uh, like, April and Tom are just straight up cruel to Jerry, which, which, isn't, which isn't okay. But, you know, it's like I go back to the greatest sitcoms of all time and something that they all have in common is every character is known for something, right? You know, some sort of unique characteristic, something that, that they're remembered for, like on cheers. um, Cliff is the one who always run, you know, ran his mouth about stuff that he didn't really know about. Right. Right. You know, we know, we knew what we got with Cliff. We knew what we got with Norm you know, blunt to the point, always at the same part of the bar. Uh, with Jerry, we always knew what he was going to be. We always knew what he was going to give us. He was going to let the other actors feed off of him and uh, be the butt of the joke. And that's just the role he played. And um, I'll say this, what happens to him in the later seasons, I think is awesome. What the writers chose to do with his character yeah. towards the end of the show. Um, I think, you know, after taking all of that cruelty, it was well-deserved. But I don't know. What do you think? It didn't bother me too much. I, I like, honestly, that you brought up April and Tom because I think those two are the ones who their jokes could at times make me cringe. Oh, yeah. But now everyone else kind of, they all treat him that way. But he's, it doesn't, I don't feel like it's bullying. I don't feel bad. I, it kind of is, but it's, it's like he's still part of the team. And he's still a member of the squad. It's not like, but why like, is Jerry here? It's like, he, he's still part of the squad, in my opinion. So those two, I agree, though, make, make me cringe at times. <laughs> right. But, like, like April, like, even when he does something right, she's like, gosh, can you do any, ever do anything wrong, Jerry? Yeah. Like, you know, he just couldn't catch a break. Which, um, which April does, we'll see, you know, does do that. with. She gives that kind of two to mostly everybody. 
you know, to an extent, True. you know, True. but like even even Andy, even sometimes. Andy, even Andy, sometimes. this episode, especially. Yes. Um, but but Jerry uh, and, and I think it's also great that, you know, we see toward the end of season two. Also, you know, we're, we're talking about Chris and Ben, but I feel Jerry and Donna, they are part of this community and this great cast and their roles really step up for me end of season two and going into season three as well. Right. That's a great point. They finally become full time on the show. Right. Uh, in season two, we were starting to get more Andy, which was awesome because I think Andy is, is an, a, 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 such a funny character. In season three, we get more Donna, who I thought was very underrated mm-hmm. and, and more Jerry. And I feel like in season three, they found an excellent balance of screen time, like just the right amount of screen time for all the characters. Right. And, and it kind of goes not to toot my own horn, but it goes back to the way the chemistry was with this cast. You, you could get that balance, in my opinion, because you can put any two or three characters with each other and they could play off each other in any like scenario or like plot, like storyline with the episode and it would work. Like, you weren't going to go, oh, Leslie's with Jerry and Andy doing something. Like, what could, oh, that doesn't, like, if you could make it work. Ron with, you know, uh, Ann and April or Andy and this combo, it could work. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, that's true. I never had that fear watching that show. I never had, like, this moment where I was like, I don't know if this scene, I have, I've had that with the office Yes, where it's, it's worked like it's worked well and it hasn't worked well. Like when they take the trip uh, to Canada and it's like Michael, Andy and Oscar, I'm like, that's a weird, it's a weird combination. It's a weird combination. Like how's this going to work? And it's, it wound up being fine. You got a pretty funny moment, moment out of it, but parks and rec, no matter what the setting was, no matter who was in the scene, it just clicked. It clicked because there, there was something to feed off of with everyone. Um, and between all the, the, the chemistry was just so good between all the characters. So I, I think that's an excellent point. And speaking to that, one of like this, you know, my second note that I wrote down on watching the episode back was the Chris Ben dynamic. Yes. Um, I think we saw, we saw the extreme at the end of season two, like the extreme, Black Hat Ben and the extreme, um, you know, butter them up and positive Chris. I think they're more humanized in season three. We even see at the end of the episode, Ben, we start to see finally another side of him as he cracks a little smile or, he, you know, he, he laughs a little bit. Um, but those two just feeding off of each other. Oh. Makes that season for well, me. Well, I, I will take a little. This is our first disagreement here. Yeah. I think you get a humanized Ben and the season two finale when he helps to pay. And they're doing the concert for the kids and he helps to pay for it. And he smiles and him and Le- you see that Leslie Ben chemistry at the end of season two. I feel there's a human side. That's why I was eager for him. If to me, if he was straight black hat, I don't know if I'd be eager for him to come back, but you see a human side in him in season two. And we were jumping around a little bit, but and maybe I'll wait. But I think before that scene, there's a human side to Ben. I agree that that scene you see human, but I don't think in this episode, that's the first human side you see to Ben, Ben Wyatt. 
No, you know what? I'll give that to you. We did see a glimmer because you're right. They had to give us a glimmer of it before getting our hopes up for season three. Um, but I don't think it was established wow. until season three. I don't right. think that they built on that until season three. Right. But I also think, I don't know if they knew what, I don't know if they knew they were going with these guys full time. Maybe they did, but I think you get enough in season two at that finale, like that he, he, he's in this, he does care. He's not just a heartless. I'm here to slash your, your, your government and cut funds and cut jobs. And I don't care. Like, he wants to do good in the community as well, which is what, you know, this Pawnee group led by, you know, Captain America slash Wonder Woman, Leslie Nope, you know, she's all that. And then some, that's what she kind of brings out of people in the Parks and Rec department. And you can kind of see glimmers. You see a lot in Chris, we literally a little too much, but you see that glimmer in, in Ben as well, for me at least. Right. Well, I wanted to ask you, um, just to dive deeper into the, the other parts of this episode. Um, I wanted to ask you how you feel about Ron Swanson's character in this episode. And uh, again, he, um, we could probably talk a while about this, but he finds himself playing the role of youth basketball coach. And we see, in my opinion, the evolution of what I'm going to call the Swanson. Because to Ron Swanson goes from in, in, in this moment, the, from Ron Swanson, the character to Ron Swanson, the meme, and Ron uh, yeah. Swanson, the myth, the legend in his role. And, and I want to say that, too, because in the first two seasons, you definitely like he's a character. He's a, this libertarian who, you know, wants the government to stay out of things. And that's why he's in the job. And to me, like, that gets focused on, but then I feel you're right. And season three is when he becomes that whole, he turned, like, I like how you phrased it, like a meme. It becomes like, oh, this guy who's just trying to stop the government from getting involved to where it's just like, he's like a Chuck Norris kind of figure. Like, you know, you know, Ron Swanson built, you know. Uh, 80 houses with his bare hands in under two minutes. Why? Because he could. You know, things like like he just has this myth about him. Like he's just the the manliest man. He's all all man. Like like he's you know yeah the Marlboro man almost. Right. He he doesn't drink skim milk. Right. Right. It's you know the and from that the pyramid of greatness is born. And I I that. Once I saw that, that was one of my favorite Ron scenes. It still is. But for the longest time, I would talk about that scene. I remember. Scenes with, with, with people killed me. The Ron Swanson Pyramid of Greatness. And he's talking about haircut types. Um, and, you know, asking the kid, are, are the scissors broken in your house, son? Yeah, I and love he's, that. <laughs> he's, just, he's giving the kids such a hard time. He's like a, he's like a drill sergeant. Oh, it, it is. I love it because, a, he's got the Bobby Knights. You know, they are in Indiana. Oh, the Bobby Knights, so good. Man. So he's just like it's an obvious take on Bobby Knight with the red sweater and everything, and the, the you know the, doing the drills. 
and, and just being so disciplined. And the take on, you know, John Wooden, legendary coach, he has a pyramid of success, which is very famous, you know, throughout the history of coaching. Like John Wooden, many call the greatest coach in sports history, you know, won 10 titles at UCLA, has the pyramid of success. So I love to see, you know, Ron Swanson's pyramid and like that, that flip off of it. And you're right, just this is where he becomes that meme. And he's, you know, you go from, you know, Warriors to Swansons. And it's just great. Like, it it really, to me, which I wasn't sure going into this when we decided for season three, I I wasn't sure when, because Ron Swanson, I knew he evolved. I didn't know when that was going off my memory. But yeah, I think you're right. This is the season he becomes that. And I think that's the moment, too. I agree. The Ron Swanson pyramid of greatness, drill coaching, um, throwback Bobby Knight, that whole thing just catapults that character. And, and just saying, are the scissors broken in your house? But it's like, he's joking, but he's like serious too. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's like, it's just great. Um, I agree with that. And, and seeing the, uh, almost the yin and yang, between him and then Andy as the youth coach. Oh my gosh. That was, that was such a good contrast. Wasn't it? Hilarious. You have like Ron taking everything super seriously, drilling into the kids. He wants them to become little Swansons. And then Andy's just over there, like pouring Gatorade on himself after the game. um, Talking about how, you know, we're focusing on the fundamentals emphasis on fun. Fun. Um, and that contrast is one of the things that makes that event so funny. What makes those scenes so funny. Um, Andy's just so thrilled to be there and Ron's treating it like, you know, it's real college basketball. And, and that's great, right? Just those two. But then you bring the ultimate contrast. When oh, you have man. Tom Haverford as the referee who knows nothing about basketball. Absolutely nothing. And is in Ron's what? And then just just mixing up the sports and just doesn't even do a jump ball. He just rolls the ball out for the kids to go run after it. Yep. He's like, uh, yeah, he thinks, he thinks double dribbling's a foul. Yeah. And he's calling all these fouls. And sometimes, and I think it would be, it would be cool to do this in the future. We talk about our favorite lines from the show. And I always think of Tom during the basketball game, calling the game. And he just says, I don't know why this got me to laugh so much, but he calls uh, the one foul. Uh, it, it, that's a technical difficulty. Yeah, yes. Technical, I remember that was hilarious. Technical difficulty. Technical difficulty. Uh, throw it in from the stripey thing. Yeah. <laughs> and Franz like, the stripey thing. And he called foul for – foul on you, you touched the ball. And it's just like, you know, he called double dribble. And Ron's like, he's on defense. And I, I, that had me dying. <laughs> He's on defense. What are you talking about? It's he just, oh, he also great. had another good a good line. I'm probably going to butcher it, but he's like, like foul and number three for doing a number two on number four. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes, yes. I was cracking up. And then, of course, you know, the reason behind all that and the reason why Tom's in that uncomfortable uh, situation for, for our listeners who, who may not remember is Ron is dating Tom's ex-wife and – they're flirting with each other at the game. Do you think and, now Tom to just sorry to interrupt, but just has a girlfriend, Wendy there. And 
that marriage though with Tom and his ex-wife was not uh not really based out of love, so to say. Yeah, so <laughs> so his ex-wife, Wendy was that was a green card marriage. But here's the thing, real quick though. So he's got this new girlfriend, Lucy, right? Very good, Lucy, yeah. And she's She's there. She's at the game. She's supporting him, even though he has no idea what the hell he's doing. Right. And yet he's getting jealous while she's in the same. That's kind of messed up. Right. I think it's messed up. And it's weird that, like, that wasn't like, obviously, you know, let's, we're two dudes. Bro code, if that was, like, legit, like, his ex-wife. I, I think, to be fair to Ron Swanson, I don't think Ron Swanson, the man that we know him as, would do that to Tom. Because he believes in the code, man code. You know, classic man code guy, Ron Swanson. Mm-hmm. But it is it was a green card kind of like marriage. And so it is bizarre for Tom to be getting jealous. A, he has a girlfriend who really likes him for him. She knows how he is, knows his quirks, knows his uh, inappropriate comments at times, his uh, overcompensation, and still likes him. But yeah, exactly. getting jealous over uh, his green card marriage ex-wife being with Ron. I kind of thought it was bizarre. Like, did it make sense for me? It was bizarre. And it all culminated in the classic tribute to Bobby Knight, Ron throwing the chair across the court floor. <laughs> classic. Was... Dude, when I first saw that scene, I could not stop laughing. I was like, D- I can't believe I was waiting for it. I was like, I wonder if it's going to happen. And then they did it. And I was, I was like, Clapping. I was like, ah, there we go. And that's a testament to Ron and that because I'll be honest, as a viewer, and probably if I was a writer on the show, that's too obvious because he has the sweater. They're in Indiana, all that stuff. But because of what was leading up to it, it, be, it still worked. It still was funny, even though that's the very, very obvious thing to do yeah. is having him do the Bobby Knight chair throw across the floor. You're right. It still was funny for me. So I, as, I as a that. viewer, I didn't really care how obvious it was. I wanted it to happen. I was like waiting for it. Was like it, it was like they had me waiting for it um, when it finally happened. And what a, props to Nick Offerman. What a throw. Good throw. Good what form. a throw. I Good wonder form. how many takes, you know? I wonder how many takes. Because that was like almost a shot for shot remake of the original. Now, Bobby Knight used like a legit, like one of those like chairs you have in like middle school, a little heavier with the metal. Yeah. You know, Nick Offerman did have like the plastic, you know, true table chair. So it's a little bit easier. True. But I do agree. It's a good form, good throw. Lots of people have tried to imitate the Bobby Knight chair throwing incident from the eighties. Many have failed. Nick Offerman, I think, may be the best I've seen. Oh, yeah. He, he hit out of the park. No, no doubt. No doubt the best I've seen. Now, um, I do want to ask you this, though. I want to kind of, like, change it a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because we see the Chris and Ann Perkins dynamic kind of happening. Mm-hmm. And now you kind of see there's a lot of, a lot of, you know, lovey-dovey, potential relationships going on. You have Chris and Ann. You kind of feel, in my opinion, we'll get to it, but Sparks, you get it from last season between uh, Ben and Leslie. 
mm-hmm. and you have some the, the potential sparks with Andy and April. Now, what do you think about the Chris and Ann dynamic so far? Well, let me start by saying they were never one of my favorite couples on the show mm-hmm. because Ann always seemed to be some degree of uncomfortable. Yes. And the way that they st- start the relationship is strange because Anne at first is like forcing herself to resist him for some reason. And Chris is like uber persistent, which is borderline creepy, but not really because of his character. He pulls it off. Kind of, yeah. And yeah. then really the crux of the episode is really is really what happens with them because you know they return to the park they, they they return to work but their budget is slashed so leslie is scrambling for money and she wants to be able to have events for the children and keep up with the parks but they need money so what does she do she convinces her best friend to go out on a date with the guy who she's hesitant to go out with mm-hmm. because she wants her to, to somehow bring up the parks department and, and the, the budget problem. Right. I, I got some issues with this. Oh, definitely. Definitely not. Um, because let's be honest, the Leslie and friendship, because there's relationships. We, we look a lot of times, I think as TV viewers of relationships we're looking at romantic, which obviously we get. But a lot of times we kind of miss. A lot of times friendships are a core relationship of a show. And I think the Leslie Ann friendship is probably as the most important relationship on this show, in my opinion, is that friendship. So, yes, is it, I don't know how you feel about that. No, I agree. I agree. And not being a good road dog, Leslie, by putting your homegirl, your best friend, in that predicament. Yeah, what is she going to say? No. Well, to be fair, she could. She should say no because, hey, you need to speak up for yourself. I True. do believe in that. But that's that's not Ann Perkins, though. Not Ann Perkins. And Ann loves Le- and Leslie loves Ann, but and she knows that Leslie means well. But you know, I tell people, I've been saying it for years, and I've been sadly having to say it a lot more recent times. Intent only goes but so far, and it doesn't make up for it. The fact that you still did the wrong act. So we know Leslie's intentions are good, but she still really put and and also Chris in very bad positions. Well, see, that's going to be my first disagreement with you. Okay, because I don't think Leslie's intentions were good. I think that Leslie, at times, and this is brought up later that she can be a very selfish person. And I think her f- number one priority there was getting money for, for the parks department. I believe she saw Anne as a means by which to accomplish that. And that was foremost in her mind. That's, but that's also, that's my point. That's what I'm saying. I think by the good, her intent was because they're slashing the budget and to try to keep 
you know, to do well for the community. Oh, I see. Okay. Is her I, th- I thought you meant that she had good intentions for Anne. Oh, no, no, she did not. No, Anne, that's why I said she's being a bad road dog. Yeah, her yeah, intentions yeah. for Anne were, were that she did not care about Anne's feelings or how Anne felt in that in those moments. Gotcha. And then the, the real victim in all this is Chris. Absolutely. Chris, who's just trying to, you know, do his thing, go out with a nice girl, pursue a, you know, pursue a love interest. And it watching the, the, the scene between um, Chris and Anne in the restaurant is, is borderline painful because it's going so well. Right. And they they actually seem to have a bit of chemistry developing. See, is it going so well? I, I think, and based on Anne's reactions, I thought it was going fine. Yes, yes, based on Anne's reactions. Now, I think it's going well as far as two people having a nice time together. Now, that could be anything. That could be me and, you know, my 90-year-old grandma I'm sitting there having. You know, two people can have a nice time together. As far as, like, am I feeling a spark? Uh, no. I felt like... Like, now, it did hit me in the feels, and I felt like it really, like, to your point, for Chris, you do get the human side of him when she, you know, if he beats her to the punch, why am I so positive? And he gives that story about the blood disorder, and he was supposed to have three weeks to live. Yeah. And that was my first, like, in the feels of the episode. First humanization has, of Chris, really. Yeah, first humanization of Chris, and this episode, which has many feels for me, which surprised me, to be honest, Nick very surprised that mm-hmm. was the first one so you have a like a oh like you have like a I, I i understand you better and i empathize with you which is cool and i guess can lead to romantic stuff for sure but i still didn't feel a romantic connection with those two i felt like i understand you more and you're now humanized but I wasn't like, oh, there's a connection for me, at least in my opinion. I get what you're saying because I'll go back to what I said before. I don't – they were never my favorite couple in the show because I didn't think they had the greatest chemistry. It didn't I work. always felt like it was kind of forced like uh, Anne, Chris, this, you, you know, this, they're both there. It sort of makes sense to have them wind up together. Um, all right, let's, let's make it work. Uh, but like – the actual chemistry between the two always seemed a bit off. I'll be honest. And you kind of hear it in this episode or always felt like, and I know their, their characters are both like very nice people and they're best friends of Leslie, you know, the main character and Ben, her love interest. So, okay. It makes sense. Leslie and Ann date best friends because they're best friends. But it honestly felt like to me, and you hear it. Hey, I'm hot, you're hot, we should be together. Like, we're exactly. too attractive. And I, yep. I don't like that. I don't like that. I don't in, like that either. In TV, or in, in, like, my entertainment, or in reality, I, I don't like that. No, because it, it rarely does it work. Right. You know? Rarely does it work. You, you have to... I never felt like there was a real story with them. No. Um, with April and Andy, you get a story. With Ben and Leslie, you get a story. Um, you even get a story with Tom and Lucy. Yeah. You, um, you never really get a story with, uh, with Ann and Chris. It's this really awkward back and forth. Should we, shouldn't we ordeal? Um, but you know, it was the crux of this episode. It was what, 
you know, it was the catalyst for, for driving the, the, the plot line, um, you know, so that we wouldn't have been able to have episode one with, without those two. Um, but it led to some, some funny moments, right? We had a, we had Ben and Leslie crashing the date and then things kind of got out of hand. Mm-hmm. I liked it. I like Leslie being there. Like, well, no, I'll be honest. When Leslie's there, I'm like, all right, that's a little weird. But Ben intercepting and seeing it and joining, oh, I great. loved it. I that was great. It. I was like, that's such a slick Ben move. Yes. He pulls up. He's like, oh, what a coincidence. <laughs> it's like, I Leslie's it. here. Oh, I, he like calls her out. So good. So good. I wasn't expecting that. I was expecting Leslie to crash the date. I was not expecting Ben to like pull up and just intercept like that right and for his it's weird because we, we, we don't want to foreshadow his character is not the cool but he did it in a very cool way like the way he, I, he was oddly smooth yes uncharacteristically so but like the the bend that i'm seeing at the end of season two in this episode has some smoothness to him like he's kind of he's kind of cool like even the self-deprecating line I'm going back a little bit, but when they're talking, he's talking about budgets are cutting because Indiana is forcing me to give a basketball, a youth basketball program. You get like death threats or called stupid or something. <laughs> and then he's like, we have, we have two teams. And then Leslie's like only two teams. And he's like, yep, that'll build a great rivalry. Great rivalry. <laughs> he like walks away. And I was, that might be my funniest line of the episode. I was dying. Cause it was so like, he's not even like on, she's like walking off camera off screen. But he like throws that line, and I remember like listening, being like, "Wait, what did he say?" I, I rewound it; and it cracked me up. So like, he's kind of like cool so far. What we're seeing with Ben, but I love that because I was like, and the way he kind of put her in her place. Because I'll be honest, it's like hot take, hot take. Uh oh, it's like hit me with it. I know a lot of people. Certain members of the audience are going to be like, well, we love Leslie. And I love Leslie Nope too. Especially the, not the, the season one Leslie, who Leslie became is awesome, right? But I feel like some members of the audience, I won't go too deep, Uh-oh. but will be like, sometimes we'll always give credit to a character like Leslie just because they understand her and good for her. And I liked how Ben kind of kind of came in there and put her in her place like you're not sneaky i see what you're doing it's messed up and he to me didn't do it in like a demonstrative way but he did it in a assertive straight to the point way which is like right on like you don't you know to that point ben didn't need to be he'd be wrong if he was like being a jerk or being an ass and coming at her but he he told her the truth he told her what's up and was like you're not sneaky i saw this coming a mile away this is wrong what are you doing? I I agree with that. I don't think there's. I completely agree with 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 how you just assessed that. I felt the exact same way about, about that situation. I thought what she did was was wrong, and I love the fact that Ben called her out on it. Um, luckily, it did give us um, a hilarious scene of them winding up at the uh, at the gay bar. Yes, which. Is one of it, it's funny you talk about smooth like Ben being smooth. Props to Chris, man. He gets hit mm-hmm. on. He gets hit on in the club by um, by one of the guys. He walks over to him to ask him, buy, you know, can I buy you a drink? And um, he politely declines, 
points out that he's there with Anne. And, and, but then we get the, you know, he goes over and he's like, you know, and as a matter of fact, let me buy all, all of you around a drinks for being so welcoming yes today. yes and i was like you know what bravo man that was so absolutely smooth. i love absolutely. that moment. i'm glad and that's why we're doing this show that's why we're friends because that hit me i'm like wow if because you always see that on tv and movies the straight guy gets hit on by a gay guy and it's awkward oh what do i do and uh, i don't want to be homophobic but uh i'm straight and this is uh yeah. and then you have like that so very obvious comedic situation. Do I come across as gay? Do other people think I'm gay? It's so corny. And I'm like, in reality. So played out. Yeah, played out. The way Chris handled that, I'm like, that should be everywhere. That's how you handle it. Hey, no, appreciate it, but I'm here with a lady. Or, hey, no, sorry, I am straight, but hey, thanks, man. Hey, can I buy you a drink? Or, hey, can I buy you a cup of coffee? But thank you. Like, don't make it a big thing. Just be like, hey, Take the compliment, be honest, but don't make, you know, be comfortable in who you are was, and don't make the other person feel weird. Like I loved it. Yeah. It was such a great moment. I think it actually, the more that we're talking about this, I really, I think it's a, a really cool episode for Chris because yes. we also see goofy, you know, when they're dancing in, in, in that oh, club, uh, I, anytime he danced on screen, man, I was just rolling. He had me rolling. Rob Lowe is just so funny. And that's where the, the coolness kind of ended with the dancing. I was like, <laughs> he, he, as quickly as he got it, he, he got taken away. The, the cool card, you, you, you've you lost your privileges, sir. Yeah. Is it, Did he say something like, what, what is this song? Or like, what is this music? Yes. It was just so, so funny. And because you can tell, the, the cool thing about him is that you can tell that he's obviously out of place. For it's uh, it's obviously like you know, and and so often too in the show we found Chris in certain situations that he like probably wouldn't volunteer to be in, but he always handles them with poise and grace, and, right? And, right. And, and and you know proper manners, and that was just a really cool moment. I thought, and I, I like what you said there. Cause I think that's important. Like, you know, we're I, I'm big on. I'll speak for me on this. I like. Even if it's something where it's like it could be a cartoon or whatever, the situation is like never going to happen, but you can still apply it to reality. And like, like, I love entertainment that does that. And his character, especially what you see in this episode, it shows like, you know, I, I always remember a, a, a quote my dad said to me where he's like, no one's universal. Even a lot of people who think that they're universal but no one is unique. So they're not, not everyone fits in every scenario, right? Right. And there's ways to handle it. And I like that you see Chris is not dumb. He knows he doesn't fit in there, but he's just going with it and embracing it and loving life. And it's another experience. And uh, especially you hear, you know, earlier the story about supposed to have three weeks to live and he's still there. So it's like he's embracing life and just like, okay. I'll take something away from it. Let's go with the flow and have fun. And I, I like that. Yeah, I liked it too. Um, and uh, I think the only part of the episode that we haven't talked about and actually kind of ends the episode is uh, April and Andy. Right? Uh, Andy's right. relentless pursuit, uh, pursuit of April and leaving her 200 voice messages. Um, I personally, I don't know how you feel about this. I'm curious as 
what your thoughts are. I personally love the the uh, the introduction of the character Eduardo. Yes, um, I thought it 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 probably wasn't necessary, but what a smart decision by the writers, right? I, I just thought that because Andy is how do you say this the correct way? Andy's Andy, right? He's mm-hmm. not the brightest bulb, but he's uh, he's he's the most fun. He's, he's a genuine kind hearted soul and he's just there living life. Right. And you introduce this other character completely outside of his comfort zone and something that he can't, he can't identify with at all. You know, he doesn't even speak the same language as the other character and and it puts him in a really confusing, which is when he's, he's funniest, a confusing um, situation. But he stays determined. I got to give him credit. Oh, he does. He does. Um, give him credit for that. Give him for, and I do like the the ad of Eduardo. Very good. Um, I'll be honest. I remember in the moment feeling like April was taking it too far. But rewatching it, I'm like, I, I, I understand now. Like, take out my love for Andy. I understand April being upset with Andy a lot better now. Like, before, I guess because I wanted it just to happen, I was like, come on, give him a break. He said it meant nothing. She kissed him in the hospital. But now, yeah, you know, even if it wasn't Ann Perkins, who April's not a fan of, you know, you kissed another woman. You say you like each other. Got a problem with it. So I, I do understand April in that regard better now. But from a right, let's look at it from a writer's perspective, though, right? So it's the first episode of season three. You can't have them get together right away. You got to still kind of build up a little bit of suspense based off of what happened at the end of season two. So the introduction of Eduardo draws it out a little bit longer, right? And it, and adds some comedic value to it as well because well, yeah, you're right. But as we talk about, a lot of these things can be very obvious. So bringing a guy on necessarily for me isn't like, yes, what I like is not the classic. He's a douchey kind of like, like the, the complete, he's different than Andy, but not in that way. He's not like the rich, smart, like sophisticated guy. You know, he's so smart and better than Andy, quote unquote, on paper. Yeah. Like that would have been like played out. It's just like, it's Eduardo and he doesn't even speak English and doesn't really have, he doesn't know what Andy's purpose is in April's life besides their coworkers. Yeah, that's so a, I like that. That's a great point because you don't often see that. And they had a they had an opportunity to have that guy be John Ralphio. Right. Which would have been the the easy route. Um because he's he's so douchey, right? But they go with uh Eduardo who just seems like this just this innocent guy. Who's <laughs> yeah, just like really. doesn't understand and he's caught in the middle of all this which is which is from from a writer's standpoint is a fa- you know, just fantastic and very, very unique. But yeah, we didn't get an, an uptight pompous jerk and we didn't get like a douchey John Ralphio kind of character. Um, we got Eduardo <laughs> mm-hmm. and Andy. Um, but Andy stays determined and he's, uh, he's trying to win her over. Um, but it's funny how he says like certain things that he knows Eduardo won't understand. Uh, like don't choke on it. How do you say don't choke on it? Yeah. In, yeah. In Spanish? <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's hilarious. It, that, that dynamic is, uh, is really good. 
It's, it's really good because it's like, like you said, Andy's so genuine. So, like, that's his rival, but he's still, like, nice to him. You know what I mean? Like, he's not like, well, you know, you so, like, he's still, like, kind of, like, nice and, like, respectful to him, even though, like, this is the guy standing between and the love of his yeah. life. Like, he's not, like, a jerk to him, really. Right, right. But he's, like, he's competitive, but not a jerk. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm sorry, Eduardo. I'm sure you're a nice guy. But April, you know, I, I'm coming after you with everything I have. Um, and we'll, we'll, we'll talk about them in upcoming episodes, too. Absolutely. Because the, the dynamic there changes and turns into this really hilarious thing and backfires uh, on April. And, and I can't and wait to talk and, more and about that. Yeah, because that, that was really great, honestly. I loved it. Oh, I did, um, too. <clears throat> I feel, though, the most compelling part for me personally was... I have to go back, and you get it at the end of season two, but even this episode, it just puts the icing on the cake. The way they are developing the Ben and Leslie dynamic is brilliant to me. Mm-hmm. And it's like their adversaries is perfect where like they're, they're combative, but they're seeing the positive in each other. They're seeing the negative, which is a relationship. Right. They're seeing the negative in each other, but they're also bringing out the best of each other. Yeah, and because of their job, they're forced to see each other a lot, and they're forced to work with each other a lot, and that's what creates that that chemistry. That's what creates those opportunities to see, you know, within each other those little those little um, snapshots of of good, and and you know, then the attraction begins to build. Um, hot take. Mm-hmm. In my opinion, one of the best written and paced out love lines in sitcoms. Yes, that I was kind of going to go. You beat me to the hot take, but bravo, you, you get it, bravo. We, wait, wait, uh, wait a second. Are you saying we agree on a hot take? We agree on a hot take. I know. Jeez, that never happens. A broken clock is right twice a day. <laughs> <laughs> a broken clock is right twice a day. I, I was going to get there. Yep, I, I'm with you. I don't foresee this happening too much in the, no, in the future. So, to our listeners, don't get comfortable with this. This is not going to be the norm. Because one, uh, one of the reasons why we want to do this show is because when we just have these conversations just in our house, just, you know, spitballing, we, we don't usually agree on a lot. No, no. We, I'll say this. We agree. We, 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 we disagree, but we, which is why I wanted to show with you. We respect when someone brings up an interesting point, we, we give it respect and like, oh, I didn't think about it that way. Um, so I do like that about it, but yeah, especially for the hot takes we're we are very different on the hot takes. Absolutely. But we agree on this one. No, they, this is one of the best I've ever seen in watching the end of season two to get ready for this episode for the podcast and watching season three, episode one. I'm like, they are just doing, this is brilliant. The way they're just mm-hmm. building up this romance. It's, it's unbelievable. Well, let me hit you with another hot take. Go ahead. If I have my choice and I, I could choose to rewatch the Ben and Leslie evolution or the Ross and Rachel evolution. I'm going Ben and Leslie all day. Uh, not a hot take. That's so obvious, but I know for most people, it's well, a hot most take. people it's a hot take for, I, for, for I, us. It's, you know, it's we have our dunk. opinions about friends. Yeah. Which I can't wait till future when we get to that. Like, um, you know, can't wait for that boy. Can but, you, um, can, can't you though? Oh, no, because I, I, this is an argument I have with so many people who love 
friends, and I pick a lot of that apart. And I have respect for friends, but I pick a lot of stuff about friends apart. But that's for the future. Okay. But I'll double, double or nothing your hot take. I would much rather on any day not only watch Ben and Leslie over um, don't Ross do it and to, Rachel. Don't do it to me. I'd rather watch Ben and Leslie don't over Pam and Jim. No, don't do yes. it to me, D. Yes. No. This is nope. way better dynamic. No, no way. Way See, better. Now, and way more realistic. Now our listeners are starting to hear. This, these are how the conversations usually go. Yes. Right? Me, me being right and you being wrong. No. Are you kidding me? The awkward tension the, and like between Jim and Pam over the course of seasons? Dude, it got the build played. up with that? No way. Played. No. Nope. It was all right, but it does not have a realistic feel like this, where if I'm looking for a good couple, what they bring out in each other, like this is it. Like you see, they kind of are like they balance each other as a Ben and Leslie. I don't get that with Jim and Pam. I get it's just like a fairy tale, blah, blah, blah. And he rescued me from the big bad Roy, who's a jerk. And why are you engaged to this guy who, for years, who treats you like crap and borderline, like emotionally abusive? Maybe not even borderline. Like, it's like, ugh. Like, I'd much rather like this. I mean, you, to, to, to back my point up, when they're sitting in the bar and. You know, Ben is talking, you know, Leslie, oh, you're Benji Wyatt. You were that 18-year-old mayor. And then he's like, you know, bashes himself. You know, I did, I made Ice Town, and, and, and it went bad. And then the paper, Ice Town costs Ice Clown his town <laughs> crown. He's like, they love rhymes. Which is such I, a great line. Oh, I thought that's what you were going with earlier. Because that, that line, I'm like, that is, that's like, sometimes you look at writers and you're like, who comes up? Like, that's genius. Like, and the to like the balls to put that in there and like it works like ice town calls ice clown his town like it just the way he delivered it adam scott it was brilliant like i loved it oh man it was such a classic line um not yeah but to, yeah i don't know why oh, that would have been a great one to choose i don't know tom tom got me a couple times in that episode so i guess that's why i lean that way um he also got me in the intro by the way which we forgot to mention uh when he was working at Foot Locker, but it wasn't bad. It wasn't, wasn't bad. bad. But uh, but to to return to Ben and Leslie, um, could it, man? See, you always do this. Is everything's just going so smoothly, and then you hit me with this with this bomb, this hot take. I don't. Jim and Pam is an all time all time classic. Like, I just don't. I don't see it, man. Like, I I. I, I no, not Jim, Jim and, and Pam. Jim and Pam's better than Ross and Rachel. Absolutely. Yes. But, but Ben and, and Leslie, it works way better. It's more realistic. I connect with that more than like, you know, G- Jim, even once they're together, and we'll get to that later, or, you know, Jim and Pam, it's just like nicey nice. And they're just become too like cookie cutter and perfect. I don't know. I don't like that combo. I like that they were – because to me, the dynamic that they have, you can have that with a guy and a girl in an office and still be just friends too. You don't have to have that romantic stuff. And it was very – when I rewatched The Office, it's very obvious. Like it's not as low-key and like hits you out of nowhere like the way this does, which I like it. Like 
which to me is how relationships a lot of times happen. It's not always just, it's so obvious and so from the start. Sometimes it's just one day, you just, okay, and then the next day, boom, it's like, I think she's pretty cool. Or the woman's like, I'm kind of liking so-and-so. I, I kind of feel like that is with here. It's like these moments just pop. Like her comment, and man, talk about second time hit me, or, or I guess maybe the first time, I forget, but like when he talks about that ice town and how like he got impeached, and she says, who cares? The point is, at least you tried something. You try to make your town better. Like, that hit me in the field because that's what it's about. That's what life's about. Like, you're going to have these failures, but it doesn't mean you're a failure. And at least you tried. And, like, that, like, hit me. And, like, you saw how Ben reacted. Like, yeah, I, I did try. And probably no one, had, everyone just kind of ripped on him. And what a dumb idea, you dumb kid. And, and he got blasted. But no one said, like, you took a chance. And it didn't go your way, but... I give you props for taking a chance. Well, I guess if you're going for realism and you hold realism as like the highest priority for a, a, it's one of the love. Highest. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. One of um, then sure. But which is funny, though, because I always one of the ways that I viewed parks and recreation in general was like a giant hyperbole. Like there's so many like exaggerations in the show and, and so many not like caricatures, um, especially in regards to like how the citizens act and all that at like, I agree. like town halls, you know, it's like everything's to the extreme. Um, it's, it is interesting, you know, that you get a more realistic love story in Leslie and Ben. And, uh, you know, the, the, the tune starts to change at the end of the episode Mm-hmm. And you have them all, despite what's going on, uh, Leslie, you know, rallies the the uh, the troops together for, you know, the um, revitalization of the Harvest Festival, um, which sets the entire plot line for season three. And by the way, you know, man, it's great to read because I, I watched the show, big fan of it. And, you know, I've rewatched it. And I play episodes now here and there just on Netflix or Hulu or if it's on, uh, on TV sometimes, but sometimes give credit to also Amy Poehler, who I knew her talent when she was on Saturday night live. She was very funny and very talented on SNL. She leaves SNL to do this show. That speech was riveting. And I was ready to like, go work. I'm like, take me to Pawnee, Indiana right now. I'm, I'm, I'm ready. I mean, the line, I, you know, we are a reflection of the community. Reason why we are all here is to bring people together. Talk about hitting me in the fields to close out that season premiere. Talk about, and the title is fitting. The episode is called Go Big or Go Home. That's what these characters did, but I think that's what, like, the acting and, like, that they, those scenes were. And that final scene, it was just even Amy Poehler, she went all in. She went go big or go home, and that, like, one time you see Ben smiling, but when Chris is crying, I wasn't like, oh, I, I looked at that like, I hear you, brother. I wasn't like, oh, Chris is over dramatic. Like, that was a moving, emotional speech. And it's like, it kind of connects. And I think you are right. It's a big hyperbole. But I think what happens now, and not to make it, but why I think this show really turned one of the unknown reasons why it turned up for the better is that it started to really reflect. It it took some creative liberties, 
reflect how a the country is, but how like these town hall city halls are, which is from going to them personally and also knowing people who worked in them. It's not to be fair, Nick, not that all you get a lot of interesting characters when you who come into like the, these town hall and the city halls who are you get you get a lot of different people and like the complaints you get or the situations you you it's not boring. I'm sure because you're going to so, get the most passionate ones. Right, and they have their different personalities and different quirks that like wow, like you you know you you're kind of like you can't wait to call your friends and be like you don't know who came by today. Like, you know what I mean? Right. Like so they hype it up, but you do get a lot of that. Well, I mean, yeah, I, yeah, because you're getting the most, you're getting the most passionate people. Um, but I, I agree that her speech was fantastic. Uh, Amy Poehler is just, I cannot say enough good things about um, how talented Amy Poehler is and how she really brought the best out of that character. And yeah, it set the tone for the whole season. Uh, that speech set the tone like, you know, not only are we all in as a um, as a, a parks and recreation department, but we are all in on this show. Like it starts mm-hmm. now. Right. And that's right. that's when it takes off. Right. Right. I agree. So are you are you are you feeling comfortable still about the the choice to go not with the show, obviously, but to go with season three? Like are you feeling comfortable if this is. You know, we have a long way to go. We have more episodes, but after, you know, after rewatching the first episode of season three, how are you feeling about this choice? Are you feeling like, you know, high end, thumbs up, or you're kind of like, eh, on it? No, I'm feeling good. I, I'm, I'm, you know, two thumbs up. I really do feel like it's where the show took off. Um, like I said, those two things that I came back to, cast and character development, that's when for both of those things, the show really hit its stride to me. The only, you know, the only real rival maybe to season three is season four. I know I said, I really like season two, but if, if I'm being objective here, um, I started with season two. That's how I got into the show. So I'm a little, you know, a little biased, um, but season three and season four are kind of more neck and neck for me uh, because well, it had the, the two better storylines. Um, but no, I'm feeling good about season three. And and this Leslie Ben dynamic, what, we're going to get that, you know, that's going to continue to to develop. Um, I'm hyped for for number two, man. Me too. And hey, to be fair, you know, to be fair, you might be right. You know, we have to break down the rest of the season. We, you know, let's see how many episodes more do we have. We, there is 15 more episodes in this season. There were 16 total for season three. So, you know, let's, when we get to the end of this season, maybe, you know, you might say season four is the overall best, or you might say this. So, or you might go back to season two. Nah, nah, nah. We have a ways to go. Like, you know, I'm not going, no. Brandana quits. No. I I mean, you you know, a month and a half ago, you were pretty big on some Brandana wits, as Tommy Haverford used to say. Well, with season three, we have the cast in full stride. Everybody's getting the screen time that they need to develop their character and to show the talent that they have. 
I think we're in for an excellent season on Ready, Set, Binge, and I can't wait to do more. Absolutely, man. This was a fun premiere episode for season three of Parks and Rec, but a fun premiere episode for our, our podcast, man. And um, I'm pumped, man. We're going to be putting these out every Monday. We're dropping them, so get ready, people. Yeah, man. It's been a long time coming. Get ready. And um, for, for episode two, it'll be here soon. Keep an eye out, as D said. Every Monday, it's going to drop, and we're going to keep doing deep dives in each episode, but then also we're going to keep coming back to, you know, what made the show so great. Yeah, and real quick before we sign off, I know we've been pretty hard on a certain somebody this episode, but, you know, Nick, I have a bottle a bottle of water by me, and I'm going to take off the cap, and I'm going to pour some out for Brandanowitz. You know, um, without him, I think there's always a, a cause. Everything happens for a reason. Without him and, you know, whoever, the Michael Shore, Greg Daniels, and the fact that he was dry toast, who knows if we get, you know, Rob Lowe and Adam Scott coming on. Those characters, and really giving us one of the best ensemble casts we've ever had in sitcom history. So we've been hard on him, and rightfully so, but I got this bottle of water. I'm pouring some out right now. People can't see, but trust me, pouring some out for Brandanowitz. You were rough to watch on screen, but you got this show to a point that it ultimately needed to make the tough decision to get to, to be great. So there is, there is a purpose for you in a weird way. So pour some out for your homie, Brandanowitz. Yes, I know you're shocked, but that's, that's... I'm, I am shocked. You caught me off guard. I wasn't ready to toast Mark Brandanowitz. <laughs> We, you know why? Because hey, we're not heartless here on Ready Set Binge. We we see there's a cause for everything. You know, hey, sometimes you, you got to have some bumps in the road to get to greatness. And I think Brandanowitz, just like hey, making Leslie Nope a female Michael Scott, they were those bumps in the road. Not everyone gets second chances in TV world. Luckily, NBC gave them a second chance because these guys came from the office. They got it right, and they made Leslie Nope a great all-time character. They got it right and said, we'll need Brandanowitz. Let's bring in Rob Lowe and Adam Scott. So I think there's, you know, for every action, there's a reaction. I'm glad that their reactions, the writings, the producers of Parks and Rec were phenomenal and great. But I think there is a purpose for Brandanowitz. You know, it led to, hey, we need to kind of clean this up. And also, I do stick by... (laughs) I I like I it's like some back underhand backhanded compliment. Oh yeah, <laughs> and, 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 hey, and, you know, in the R.I.P. Harris Whittles, a writer and producer of Parks and Rec, the late great Harris Whittles, who came up with the term humble brag. There's a little bit of humble brag right there for him, but I, you know, I do stick by also what I felt when I watched this last night and today that I got something out of hey. A lot of people want to get into these services of social. Hey, that's really noble. And it is not taking it away, but nothing wrong if it's not for you. And sometimes people try and they see it's not for them. And there's no shame in that either. It doesn't mean you're not a good person or you don't care. But sometimes that's what I, that's the positive I took from his character was seeing that, which he's not a bad guy. It was just, that world was not for him. Well, and thanks to him and, and we're, you know, getting over that 
you know, those season two humps were, were, we, we are blessed with, with season three and many more ready, set binge episodes to come. Yeah. So bingers, wherever you are, if you have a moment, just pour some out for Brandanowitz. He, you know, he, he died on the shield for us to get to ultimate comedy glory with Parks and Rec season three. So wherever you are, it doesn't have to be a big ordeal. Just pour, pour a little out for Mark Brandanowitz. Yep. And, uh, be ready for some more episodes to come. Yes, sir. For my main man, my tag team partner, Nick, I'm Jeremy. Thanks for listening to Ready, Set, Binge. Till next time, people.